Welcome back to the Poverty Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the um, lead pastor, senior pastor here at uh, Poverty Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon, where uh, once again, uh, God decided to give us some snow. So it's kind of going back and forth. Winter has not quite left us. Uh, we're in the middle of February. And uh, so that's just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, if you're ever in our area, please uh, swing by um, on the weekend and visit us. We have an 8.30 and a 10.30 and an 11.30 service on Sunday mornings. And, of course, a 7 o'clock cowboy church on Saturday night. Uh, anyways, uh, we are pausing our Hebrews study to look at the basics, the foundational truths, the elemental truths that the author of Hebrews uh, mentions in uh, five chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. And they're actually listed out in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, there, where he talks about uh, repentance and faith and baptism and the laying out of hands, which I believe is the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in many areas there, um, and then finally eternal life. And so uh, God really impressed upon my heart that we needed to pause our study in Hebrew so that we could actually look at those basics and make sure that we understand the basics before we go on to anything deeper in the book of Hebrews. So anyway, that's where we're at. Last week we had talked about repentance. And this week I'm, I'm going to start a two-week series, uh, little series on, on what, what is faith? You know, uh, we talk about faith a lot. Um, you know, there is the faith and there is faith and this is what I believe or what I trust in and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I was doing a lot of thinking about it discussing with other people this last week about what faith is all about. and Even if you claim to be a person that doesn't have faith, the fact remains is that you have faith in something. And some people say, well, you can't have 100% faith in anything. And I think, well, I, I bet you I can prove that there are some things that you can have 100% faith in. Um, people do it all, all the time when they get on an airplane. This multi-ton metal tube that hurdles through the air at an insane speed. You know, you have faith that that thing can actually fly, right? And then when it lands, it has to land on three points of rubber. Don't tell me you don't have faith when you get on an airplane. Obviously, you do. Otherwise, you would never do it. You never get on one. I read of one person's take on faith. They say faith is going to a doctor who gives you a prescription you cannot read. Uh, which you then take to the pharmacist who gives you a medication you can't pronounce, and yet you take it. We live by faith. We do. Uh, I, I don't think you can get through a single day without demonstrating faith in something. You flip a light switch. You have faith that the light's going to come on. Uh, you, you turn on the ignition in your car. You, you trust that the motor's going to turn over. When you mail a letter, you've got faith uh, that the post office is going to get you uh, the letter, or get your letter to where it needs to be. Well, okay, well, maybe there's a limit to some things. I kid, I kid. But seriously, when you think that you can trust things, then it turns out bad. Rather than stopping trusting in things, I, I, I think it's there's just a better chance that you just place your faith in the wrong thing rather than the, the fact that that thing doesn't exist. In other words, faith seems to be only as valuable as, as what or who you put your faith in. Now, that's true in human relationships. It's, it's true in commercial companies. It's uh, true with mechanical things. It's also true, though, when it comes to spiritual things. There are many, many things and entities that people put their faith in over the course of history, uh, religious-wise, by the way, spiritually speaking, 
Buddhists have put their faith in the idea that you get to do something over and over and over. You get to live your life over and over until you finally get it right. And that's according to the teaching of the Buddha. Muslims, they put their faith uh, in Muhammad, the prophet, and his insights into God, whom they call Allah. Hindus have put their trust in uh, the fact that they believe that there's thousands of gods. And even atheists, people who claim to have no religion at all, they still live by faith. Faith that uh, what they believe in is actually what's real. At the heart of most religions, I've also found that this out, interestingly enough, is a faith that people are, by and large, generally good. Humans seem to have faith in the human potential. And uh, so that harm, uh, manifests itself in the... Uh, preeminence of science or politics, uh, it, it may be expressed as a harmony with nature, whatever. They're just that people are basically good. Uh, my wife and I caught a, a, a show on Netflix last week, and it's a series. It's a reality series. And I came across watching the first two episodes thinking, no, humans are not generally good. These people are horrible, horrible people. And yet, at the at the heart of most religions is this idea that no, 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 people are there's potential to the human to to be good. Now, last week we began a mini series again, like I'm saying, the elementary things, and so that's what we're looking at today. Um, uh, and we need to go back to the basics every now and then because, well, it's important to review so that you're not off track, right? Um, the author tells the, the uh, Hebrew converts that by this time in their faith, they ought to be teachers, but they're still on shaky ground because they still need somebody to teach them the basics. It reminds me of a story that I heard about the legendary Green Bay Packers coach, Vince Lombardi. Uh, Lombardi is the one that uh, they named the Super Bowl trophy after, the Lombardi trophy. But back in 61, um, uh, training camp kicked off on, in July. And uh, the prior season for the Green Bay Packers had ended in a loss in the championship game. They had lost to the Eagles. Uh, they had blown a lead in the fourth quarter that the Packers had. And so people were a little frustrated. But when the players came in to start training camp, they, they expected to immediately begin where they left off. And uh, they, they expected to work out ways to advance their game and uh, to learn fancy new ways to win that championship. But when they sat down, Vince Lombardi began his speech by holding up a football and saying, gentlemen, this is a football. Talk about going back to the basics, right? And from there, Lombardi had everybody open up their playbooks and start on page one. And they begin to go over the fundamentals again, blocking, tackling, passing, catching, all of that. Now, that was clearly not what the players expected. They, they thought that they were at the top of their game. and They just needed a little... A boost to push them over. But this focus on fundamentals allowed them to actually eventually in that year go on to win the NFL championship. Uh, they, they beat the other team 37 to zero. And Lombardi then would go on to win five championships in seven years. And in fact, from that point on, he never had a losing season, never lost a playoff game. Now, the basics shouldn't be shunned. They shouldn't be thought less of. That's why I decided that we should pause our Hebrew study to, to learn the basics or to go back to the basics. Now, some, for some, that might be frustrating because uh, you got it. 
and you want to move on past the elementary stuff. They, you want to get into the master's courses. But please note that uh, there are other people listening to these sermons who have never heard about the basics ever. And this is the first time that they're hearing about things like repentance and faith and baptism and the Holy Spirit and eternal life. But then I think that there's the majority of people listening to this who find themselves somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Um, they're not necessarily itching to go on to the deeper stuff, and, and they think that they really do know the basics. But they need to be sat down every now and then uh, and have a coach pick up a Bible and say, Church, this is the gospel. This is faith. This is the basics. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at uh, uh, what faith is all about. This is the second foundational truth that the author of Hebrews uh, mentions in chapter 6. And again, last week we talked about repentance. This week will be about faith. And next week will be about faith as well. And, and what's nice for me is I'm basically going to be able to kill two birds with one stone, especially with today's message, because I'm really going to be sitting in Hebrews 11. So that by the time we get back into our Hebrew study and we get to chapter 11, I can just say, hey, you, you remember what we talked about about this. And, and so we won't have to go into it really in depth then because we're going to go into it in depth now. So Hebrews chapter 11 in a passage that has been uh, come to be known as the hall of not fame, but the hall of faith. And uh, though we're going to dive into a greater study next week, today I want to look at two main things. Number one, what faith is. And number two, what faith does. What faith is. And by the way, when we're talking about what faith is, we're going to uh, talk really about what faith is not. And number two, what faith does. So let's look at what faith is. You know, I, I'm pretty impressed because the author of Hebrews here puts this huge concept of what faith is into a very succinct sentence in verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is, okay, here's the definition, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A.W. Tozer is a, a theologian, and he had written uh, a while ago about this verse. He said, Faith this is his commentary. He says, faith is seeing the invisible, but not the non-existent. See, some people in our culture, they mock people of faith for believing in this big invisible man in the sky. They scorn us because they think our faith is believing in something that's not really there. And so it's, a, it's quite a leap into the darkness. Biblical faith is not that nonsense, by the way. Because you and I really, we, we don't believe in a big invisible man in the sky. We believe there is a creator. We believe that creator has revealed himself through nature, very logically. And uh, you know, we also see that he's revealed himself through the law of the prophets, the, the scriptures. But, uh, you know, as, as by being invisible, okay, we believe he's a spirit. So we cannot see him through carnal means. But that doesn't mean that he cannot be experienced or even seen through spiritual means. See, I think a lot of people mock faith because, well, they just don't understand it. People, people make fun of what they don't understand. But, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, if they would really, the, the people who reject faith and, and rather than uh, adhere to faith, they adhere to science, for example, Man, if you looked at the history of what science used to teach us, man, it's laughable. Science has shown that what we used to believe about things like germs and uh, basic building blocks of, of the body, 
Well, what they used to teach was wrong. And now we are enlightened and we see the truth about it. So just because you can't see a germ, just because you can't see a cell doesn't mean, and, and, and you don't quite understand it, doesn't mean that it's not true. Now we accept it as true, even though we can't see it. Now, there's some great teachings out there that show that it's much more logical and even scientific, if you want to go that direction, to see the order and the intricacies of creation, to observe that, and then to come to a conclusion that since there is a design to creation, then there must be an intelligent designer behind it all, that it can't have happened by mere happenstance and mutation. Um, because e even if the earth is as old as they say it is, you would still need more time for the complexity of our lives, our bodies, nature, to have actually adapted and, and mutated to, to that point. So it's kind of crazy to, to think that, um, that the scientific explanation of all happening by chance is a, a better explanation, a more logical explanation, because it's not. All that is, is I don't want to acknowledge there is a God. I, I want to be able to figure this out without having to bring in a God, because they think that a, a belief in God is this blind, unreasonable, wishful thinking. Uh, but faith is a trust that there is something out there beyond ourselves, higher than ourselves, that actually put everything into place, made us, sustains us, and has revealed himself through his creation. Now, I, I want to speak briefly to those who may be listening uh, this morning, or whenever you're listening, perhaps with a sense of cynicism. You know, I, I've met people who say, yeah, I know what you say about God, but I don't know if I can trust what you say about God. Well, let, let me put you at ease to, let, let's talk about what faith is not, okay? So, and I think that we can probably agree that this is not uh, a logical or reasonable faith. First of all, faith is not a leap in the dark, okay? Some people think that you have to do uh, what, uh, what I would argue that modern university professors ask of their students to do, to check your brain at the door. Uh, don't have an opinion. Um, some people say, well, yeah, faith, you, you got to be brain dead in order to have faith. Uh, just believe what I tell you. Well, that's not what we read of in the Bible. God always says you have his permission to check things out and to look. And in fact, um, science uh, giants from the past have used the Bible to help um, propel their discoveries. Um, believing in God actually is the is the unreasonable kind of faith. That, believing that there is no God, sorry. Believing that there is no God, that requires an unreasonable kind of faith because now you have to you have to make everything fit that narrative. You, you gotta you, you gotta find, oh, maybe it's not just one universe. Maybe it's multiverses. Oh, it's string theory. Oh, it's quantum physics. It's, oh, no, no, no. Maybe life originated on another planet and it came here because uh, all of the intricacies of, of these organisms are way too complex for even the, the um, old earth uh, idea. Yeah, that's unreasonable. That really is because it's staring you in the face that there's a design and for you to deny that there's a designer, then that's pretty unreasonable. 
See, our beliefs about the origins of the universe and of our creation and of our purpose, yes, that requires faith. But so do the beliefs of those who claim there is no God, that the world just happened by chance and that there's no true purpose of why we're here. And if you were, again, to make an honest assessment of those two worldviews, one of them requires a lot more faith than the other. I discovered a, a very enlightening quote this past week. L listen to what um, uh, famous preacher D.L. Moody once said about faith and how he gained faith. He said, listen, I prayed for faith and thought that someday it would come down and strike me like lightning, but faith didn't seem to come. See, I, I want to stop there and say what, what he's saying is, is that he thought that it, I mean, he tried to get it through this blind leap, this, this leap in the dark. I just wanted this, so I prayed for it. But then one day, he says, I read in Romans, the book of Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He said, I had up to this point closed my Bible and just prayed for faith. But now I opened my Bible and I actually began to study. And then he says that my faith has been growing ever since. You see, it's not when he turns off his brain that faith grew. It's when he engaged his brain in, in a study of the revelation of God through his word. And that's when his faith began to grow. Because the Christian faith that is rooted in a biblical worldview is based on the testimony that we read of in God's word. The testimony that is reaffirmed again and again and again and again in the lives of the folks that we read of in this book. So faith is not a leap in the dark. Another misconception is faith um, exists only if God does what we want him to do, that he jumps through the hoops that we demand him to. Biblical faith is not the ability to manipulate God. And if you've tried to manipulate God and he would not be manipulated, that doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. That just means that he's got a higher will than, than what you want him to have. Uh, you know, there's, there's, God's not some kind of magic potion where you just name it and claim it. And you blab it and grab it like a genie of the lamp or a butler. If you have that kind of mentality, that's never going to last past the first major disappointment that comes to your life. But a loved one that you have prayed for is not healed, or a promotion that you prayed for does not come through, or an unforeseen tragedy strikes. You know, if you have that kind of false faith that says, oh, no, I can tell God what to do and he's going to do it, and if he doesn't, then he doesn't exist. Boy, that faith falls apart when disappointments in life show up, and they will. And they will. We must realize that biblical faith does not trust that God's going to do what we tell him to do, but rather puts a trust in what God has said to the extent that we decide that we will obey what God has said. See, that's what the Bible writers meant when they speak of faith. By faith, we know that there is a God, and we know that we are not him. A third false view of faith, what faith is not, is just a set of doctrines that you adopt, and so you just have to follow the right rules. Now, doctrine is important, but if you read enough scripture, you'll see that outside of doctrine, there's, there are many more examples of people who actually fail in their moral lives at one point, who wind up actually being considered righteous. Because it's not about necessarily having the absolute correct doctrine, even. It's not keeping the letter of the law perfectly that, that makes you right with God. It's, it's having a relationship that you develop with God. So 
faith is not just having the right kind of belief system either. Faith isn't just knowing about God, in other words, because you can know about a person without really knowing them. Faith goes past the knowing about God and strives to spend time and effort and energy to actually get to know God and to be known by him. And what we see, especially here in Hebrews chapter 11, which for some of you, you might like thinking about this chapter like a a Bible spark notes or cliff notes of Bible stories, because what we see here are stories about Bible characters who are able to take the opportunity to not just know about God, but to actually get to know him. And because of that, they have discovered that faith is not just this theoretical idea. It's actually very practical. It's not just an abstract Faith does things, and so that's what I want to end up talking about today, what what faith does. We're going to look at four examples from Hebrews 11 to answer that question. First of all, faith leads us to worship. Uh, if you look at verse 4 of chapter 11, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended commending him by accepting his gifts. Ah, Abel. Abel, Abel, Abel. Younger brother of Cain, second-born son to Adam and Eve. And his story goes like this. Um, The two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they took up different careers. Cain becomes a farmer. Abel becomes a shepherd. And in the course of time, each one of them brought a sacrifice to God. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, so it looks like maybe he actually brought a sacrifice before Cain did, because it says, and then in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. Now, they both engaged in sacrifice, but only one sacrifice was acceptable to God. That was Abel's. Why? Well, the author of Hebrews says it was better, mainly because it was done in faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. In other words, there seems to be a difference between what he brought, the first fruit of his flock, and what Cain did, that in the course of time he brought some of the fruit of the ground. That's how the the wording goes there in Genesis uh, chapter 3 or 4. Now, it could have been that Abel's sacrifice was better because his was a blood sacrifice. There was no blood involved when Cain brought some of the fruits of the uh, the ground, potatoes, um, roots, whatever it is. And so that would be in keeping what Adam would probably have taught his sons, what he had learned when God had exiled him after his sin, and he left the garden clothed with the skin of a dead animal. Blood had been spilled in order to cover up his shame and his guilt. So that that could be why it was better, because it was a blood sacrifice. It could have been better because he gave his first fruits. It wasn't he didn't wait and give some in the course of time like Cain had. He he actually gave his first, his best, with no regard to the possibility. I mean, there there is a risk that he wasn't going to get anymore. But giving God the first fruits of his labor, well, maybe that was why it was a better sacrifice. But uh, either way, whether it was a blood sacrifice or whether it was just the fact that he gave his first, or maybe it was both, Abel demonstrated faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Faith that God could be trusted. And so, 
faith led him to worship God, to acknowledge him as the one that takes preeminence, the, the one that is the first, uh, the one that uh, is worth most. He's worth most because where he leads us is to a good place. That's what we trust, uh, that uh, he knows what he's talking about, um, that we can trust him. Uh, faith that he loves us and uh, accepts our sacrifice um, uh, for the payment of our sin rather than to demand our lives. All, all of that was in there. Faith leads us to worship a God who is good and can be trusted. Secondly, faith leads us to walk. It leads us to worship. It leads us to walk. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, what an interesting character Enoch is. Very interesting, in fact, that in the intertestamental period, somebody wrote prophecies, and they, they wrote them under his name. Some people read the books of Enoch, and they blindly accept that they were actually written by this guy who uh, lived there, uh, was the grand, grandfather of Noah, um, or great-grandfather of Noah, I guess. Um, we read of him in Genesis 5. But you got to know this, first of all. The books of Enoch did not appear until about 300 years before Jesus. So it really um, doesn't make sense that the Genesis Enoch was the author of the intertestamental book of Enoch, but I digress. Sorry. We read of in Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 18, this is what we read of, of this interesting character named Enoch. Actually, I'm going to go 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, second time it says that, and he was not, for God took him. So apparently Enoch was a guy who walked so closely with God on a, on a regular basis that uh, God one day, instead of saying, hey, Enoch, uh, let me take you back to your own home. God might have said something like, hey, sir, since we're so close to my home, why don't you just come home with me tonight? And then as Moses writes, Enoch was no more because God took him. Enoch is the only person in the genealogies of Genesis where it does not say, and he died. It just says that he was no more because God took him. Walking with God that close. Can you imagine that kind of existence. Not that you're uh, running into things because your head's up in the clouds all the time, and that's why how you're walking with God. But uh, uh, Nor is it being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good to anyone. Now, walking with God in this way that Enoch walked with him may seem very foreign to, to many Christians because, again, they were taught that uh, their Christianity, their belief, just gets them to heaven, and that's about it. But the whole idea that God created us for a relationship, well, he wants us to enjoy hanging out and spending time with him. It's, it's like what it used to be like at the beginning of a boy-girl relationship that you might have had uh, earlier on in your life, where you'd get on the phone and you would talk with each other until way too late, and then 
when you, you knew it was time to go to bed, you'd say, okay, I'm going to hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up first. No, you hang up first. I, I love you. I love you. And you just wanted to continue to spend time with him. That's really what Christianity, what our faith is supposed to be all about. Walking with God. Um, learning his ways. Learning to actually really appreciate uh, hearing his voice and, and really truly falling in love with this God that created us to have, have a relationship with. You, you know, what heaven's going to be like is uh, an eternity with God um, in a relationship with him. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that you know God, that you know God, the only true God, and uh, that, that Jesus Christ, and that they would also know Jesus Christ that you said. So to, to have eternal life is to know, uh, to have this deep, intimate connection with the only true God and, and Jesus. What eternal life truly is, what heaven is going to be like, is walking with God and enjoying the sweetness of walking with him. Thirdly, faith will lead us to work. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He constructed an ark. Now, maybe you never thought about it, but building an ark, that was no small task. It took Noah and his sons, uh, Ham, uh, Shem, and Japheth, over a hundred years to build it. Talk about a project. I mean, this that was crazy. I read a story of a little boy, fresh from Sunday school, asked to pray for lunch that day back at home. And he thanked God for the food. And then he says, and God, if you need somebody to build an ark, I'll do it. I love that. I love that attitude of, I'm willing to work. Warren Wearsby said in one of his commentaries, faith enables us to understand what God does, and then faith enables us to see what others cannot see. So as a result, faith enables us to do what others cannot do. In other words, we do what we see God do and, and, and what God has called us to do. Most of us aren't going to be asked to build an ark, by the way. But we are all given something to do. We have a purpose now. It's not just to build our own little K kingdom, but to participate in building the big K kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So he created us. We are his workmanship. But we were created for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Not that we are saved by our good works, that we somehow do everything absolutely perfectly so that God then says, hey, why don't you come on up and, and uh, be forgiven and, and I'll let you into heaven. Now, we are saved by his grace, our faith in his grace, but then we are saved for good works, to do the good works. Faith leads us to ask what is it, God, that you have prepared me to, to do, to, to be a part of this kingdom-building thing that you've got going? So faith leads us to worship. It leads us to, uh, it leads us to worship. It leads us to walk. It leads us to work. And then finally, we see um, from our father of faith, Abraham, faith leads us to wait at times as well. Listen to verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward 
to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Now, this is a tough one. And we're going to unpack this a whole lot more next week. But let it be sufficient to know that the author of Hebrews is reminding us that though God promised Abraham a land and a people, and that all the world would be blessed through him, it wasn't, first of all, until Abraham was 100 years old before that child of promise was born, Isaac. And as it turns out, the promise of the land and the people, that wasn't realized until hundreds of years after Abraham had died. See, more often than not, in my experience and in my ministry, I have found that faith, more than anything else, leads us to wait. It leads us into God's waiting room. Now, some of you probably totally understand what I'm, um, I'm saying. Because right now, you might feel like you're stuck in God's waiting room. And because in our culture, it's kind of built in that we shouldn't have to wait for things. We don't like to wait. And so so we, we have a problem with that. See, we've got DoorDash and instant oatmeal and microwaves and Instapots and Amazon Prime gets its stuff quicker than the post office and there's the fast pass at Disneyland. But God's timing is different. And there's growth that happens when you are made to wait. Discipline can be developed as you wait. God moving in the way he will move allows us to learn how to trust him even more. Uh, because he doesn't ask our permission. He doesn't need our permission. He will do what he will do, and we just need to trust that that will happen, and it will happen in his own timing. When God calls us to wait, for some people, that's the last straw. That makes them walk away from faith. And yet the author of Hebrews tells us later on in chapter 11 that all of these people that he's talking about died in faith, and some of them not even receiving the things that had been promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they desired a better country. See, he, in other words, the author of Hebrews is giving us a different perspective. Because Abraham died still believing. He died in faith. He died knowing that God was faithful, even though he had not yet seen the results. Now, some people, that discourages them. They think, well, then God can't be trusted. God isn't faithful. Um, God promises you something, and then you die, and you never get to see that promise fulfilled. Well, it's interesting that Jesus, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Abraham, he was being questioned one day by the Jewish leaders in regard to his authority. And, and he said, listen, all authority of faith does belong to him. But in John chapter 8, verse 56, in making that point, he says something very interesting. He said to, to these Jewish leaders, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, in one sense, that shows that Jesus existed way back then. Even though he had not yet been born in Bethlehem, he still existed as part of the Trinity. But it also shows that even though Abraham had died, he still was able to get a glimpse of uh, the promise fulfilled that through his seed, the world would be blessed. Abraham waited and was finally able to, in the grand scheme of things, in the overarching perspective of the world, he was able to witness the fulfillment of God's promise. Faith will lead us to work and to walk and to worship, but faith will also lead us to wait. 
So when you have prayed all that you can pray, when you've done all that you can do, sometimes the greatest proof of your faith is that you actually just wait. A faith that pleases God will enable you to wait with confidence. By faith, you believe, in fact, you know that God is going to come through in the end. It may look different than what you thought it would, but he will come through. Now, there's no real conclusion to this message because we're not talking uh, through talking about faith that needs to be put into action. And that's what uh, my study of Scripture seems to be the main thing uh, when you're talking about faith. Suffice it to say that this week, you are loved. Uh, you are loved. It doesn't matter where on the road you are in your faith journey. Please recognize that it is a faith journey. It's a journey where you are learning how to trust in God with more of your heart, more of your mind, more of your strength, more of your will. See, faith is a beautiful thing. It's not something to ever be ashamed of. Remember, Hebrews 11 said, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And in the Greek, the word that's translated there as conviction in the English Standard Version is actually the word proof. So it says that faith is the proof of things not seen. Uh, the King James Version had said it's evidence, and, and that's probably more accurate. It, that, now, that's intriguing to me because too often I think people think of faith as being uh, something without proof or without evidence. Um, they, they think proof and evidence is just for the things that you can see, touch, smell, hear, all of that kind of stuff. Real things, they would say. But church, faith is real. And and our faith is the proof that we do trust God. That trust must be real, not something that we give lip service to. Yes, I believe. Do you believe? Do you truly have faith? That's an elemental truth that we must understand. And that's really what we're going to be talking about next time. So thanks for uh, tuning in. Again, I wanted to thank Lisa Welly for uh, executive producing these podcasts. Uh, thank you, uh, Steve Pittman, for uh, just being our tech guru here at the church. And thank you for tuning in. Um, next week, I, I hope that we will be challenged by a, 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 an understanding of faith that we may not have ever thought of before. Uh, God bless you, and uh, we will catch you next week.